You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 268 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast, coming to you on June 24th. Oh, God. I tried so hard to get the episode number right. I bombed on the date. Kind of ironic seeing as you bombed on last episode. That's, that's why I was trying so hard this week. <laughs> oh, well. Go ahead. So Try again. Nah, nah. <laughs> well, I'm not I saying I, I would edit it improperly. I don't screw up in anyway, so why bother trying to fix it? That's right. <laughs> well, last week we talked about Marvel's latest breakout movie star in the Black Panther. And again, you said... Maybe we should also cover something about the next movie star, and that's, the, of course, in the form of Doctor Strange. So I went way, way back to the year 2006 to the Doctor Strange The Oath miniseries from Brian K. Vaughn, art by Marcos Martin and Javier Rodriguez. I mean, I can't honestly remember the last time Doctor Strange had an actual ongoing series, like, before the current Jason Aaron run, because... Like in the entire time I've been back to reading comics, the only Doctor Strange I know is either, you know, hanging out with the Avengers or in a miniseries like this. And like it's weird that for such a high visibility character, he, he's been he hasn't worked as a monthly comic in ages. To me, that's a a failure all the way from the editors all the way down to the creators. Because mm-hmm. there's no reason why the character should not be doing well. There's absolutely no reason. It's an interesting character. There's a, a rich history there. There's a also a um, a multicultural history with the people that he associates himself with. There's certainly there's a lot of stereotypes, but again, you can't get away from that. But in the hands of the right creator, as we see in this very brief miniseries it's fantastic like you could really have a lot of fun with it yeah and i've read interviews and whatnot from the early 2000s with joe casada and other people going yeah well you know we can't we don't really want to do dr strange because we haven't well established like how magic works in the marvel universe and it's one of those things i've talked about how a good magic story needs to have you know rules and stuff behind it but that doesn't mean like you need to outline what the rules are. You just need to make it believable, like what Jason Aaron's doing right now with, you know, showing Doctor Strange using magic, showing him paying a price for that magic. We don't need, you know, the actual rule book to go along with it. And that's what they tried so hard like, in the early 2000s for him. And then you just have Brian K. Vaughn show up and go, nah, here's just a really cool Doctor Strange story. This is how it should be. And see, I'll actually call bullshit on that because... Just, it's the whole we can't have Spider-Man be married thing, basically. <laughs> yeah, th- this idea of not being able to do this because it hasn't been done yet or established is a, a weak excuse. Put it in the hands of a creator that will lay the groundwork down, that will create the rules, all of these things. It's never going to be done if you never allow a creator the time, the opportunity to do it. So that's... That's again, that's a bullshit excuse as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Before we dive into the story itself, I want to talk about the art because 
I'm very curious what you thought about the artwork in this comic. I wasn't overjoyed with it, but I certainly didn't mind it. Because I know we've had this discussion before specifically about Marcos Martin and usually when he was doing his work on Spider-Man because he was like the B artist to Umberto Ramos. Yeah. And I love Martin. Like it's not fair to compare him to Ramos because they're two such drastically different styles. But especially after reading this miniseries and looking at what he did on Spider-Man, basically because Marcos Martin has always been like a good retro style artist. You know, he does like this the slower emotional issues for Spider-Man and stuff like that. But I've come to realize basically he's the modern day Steve Ditko of what he's doing with Spider-Man and Dr. Strange and other work he's done at Marvel. And he absolutely captured that Steve Ditko feel of going back to the 1960s. Like this is that 1960s Dr. Strange redone for the modern day. And I actually really enjoyed it from that aspect, especially. And that was one of the things, as you obviously expected, that I was not as crazy about. Exactly. Again, I'm, I don't want to take away from the art because it's quite obviously well done. It's just not necessarily a style that I enjoy all that mm-hmm. much. And the the retro appeal of it is not something that appeals to me personally as much. See, it, it's retro without being like – too old school is what I like about it. Like it, yeah. it, it evokes that nostalgic feeling while still being solid modern day art for me. Right. So as for the series itself, I mean, I can't think of a more perfect Doctor Strange story to tell with just five issues. Uh, you have obviously crazy magic stuff going, but this really cuts into the core of what makes Stephen, Stephen Strange such a compelling character of his arrogance, his time as the Sorcerer Supreme, as well as, you know, who he was before that and he how he still carries a lot of that characterization around with him. Like this, this was so great and told such a broad story in just a few issues. What I liked about this too is, again, going back to what you said about the arrogance, which is something with that character that you have to accept. Mm-hmm. When it's arrogance intertwine with sarcasm, then it's fun to read kind of thing. What I liked about this is despite the arrogance that we see in these issues, the flashbacks allow us to put it into context mm-hmm. and to realize that he's actually come a long way. Yeah, and then, he's still a jerk, but he used to be a much bigger jerk. Yeah. Well, not just that, but when you then look at the decisions that he's making based on the oath and his relationship to other people, to Wong and whatnot, you then can appreciate the the man that is not the asshat, <laughs> that is actually would be now a pretty damn good doctor kind of thing. So there's there's because of the, the back and forth, you really get to appreciate a lot more layers of the character than you would in a straightforward storyline. Yeah, and getting into the actual title itself, like the oath is is so important to this because at first, you know, it's well, at least we believe it's building on the connection between Strange and Wong with, you know, the oath Wong has sworn to him as his servant and, you know, what that means for both of them. But as it develops, it gets into a lot more of like I said, his past as a doctor and his Hippocratic oath and how he wants to do good for people and 
both as a person and as his role of Sorcerer Supreme. And they go crazy with that because the entire framing device for the story is that Wong has brain cancer and he's dying. But Strange does his Doctor Strange thing and finds, you know, the magical device. But this is what we're saying about how it it makes Steven seem like that much smarter and better established of a character that he doesn't just go get the magical MacGuffin and save the day. He actually does his due diligence and make sure it's going to work, make sure it's not going to turn his friend into some horrific, you know, otherworldly beast. But in the course of this, it's discovered that this magic elixir has all these properties and it's stolen by, we don't know at the time, but basically a pharmaceutical group that doesn't want a cure for disease out on the market because it's going to ruin their bottom line. But they justify it as being, no, 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 we can't do this. It's not natural. You know, people need to be sick. People need to die. And it, there's so many layers to this that I I really loved in the story. Well, the thing, too, is that it's it's frightening in the concept because it applies to our reality as well. Because let's be very honest, there's a lot of very crooked people in the pharmaceutical industry. And no kidding. We don't have to look very far to see some. So the, the, the fact that they're showing them off as these evil villains and you're like, yeah, there are real people like that and they're just as scary. Yeah, they don't need to be dark sorcerers to be super – Exactly. <laughs> so it lends a credibility – and a relatability that we can then kind of read it and, and acknowledge that, yeah, this is this is real and it is this frightening and the power they wield is – it's there. It's true. They're, this is not fiction. And I, I – again, I really like that because with Strange, it's so easy to make these fantastical, magical villains that he goes up against where there are no rules, where the – Creator can just basically imagine whatever they want. It could fill any role, and then that's that. And what I liked about this is that for the most part in this series, those creatures, like the one guarding the vial and whatnot, they're really not a big deal. They're there. He takes care of it, and that's that. Same thing with the 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 quote unquote main villain. It's taken care of fairly easily in terms of magic versus pseudo magic, but it's the the real villains are the real people. Mm -hmm. And across all of this, it starts off with Dr. Strange being carried into the night nurse's office because he's been shot as he, the, the elixir was stolen from him. So that brings in night nurse as I felt an absolutely great counterpoint to Stephen Strange because she's somebody who's still practicing medicine and someone who spiritually and psychologically can kind of keep up and stand up to him. And it's hilarious now looking back at this, them making the constant Sherlock and Watson yes. references, given who we know, of course, is playing Dr. Strange. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was cute as well. <laughs> like if we had read this, like if this had come out in 2016, we would go, oh, you people are trying too hard. <laughs> but it fit. Yes, because it's... It's such a great comparison. It's what we said, why Cumberbatch was such fantastic casting, because there are so many parallels between Strange and Sherlock Holmes, not just in the arrogance, but the fact that a good 
medical or mystical story is in a lot of ways a detective story and that's what we get here it's dr strange trying to solve a mystery first and foremost now it's a mystery that involves a magical elixir it's going to save his lifelong friend's health but a mystery nonetheless yeah i i also really liked like we said how they're spanning the the old doctor uh, Stephen Strange with now the current Doctor Sorcerer Supreme Strange. Uh, the stuff that they showed in those flashbacks of, like you said, just how much of a phenomenal jerk he used to be. But man, it really lent a, an extra layer to the story because we see all the people he's pissed off along the way as like red herring villains almost. But the stuff with him and uh, what was his name? Uh, Reginald Pavlish, the patient that he turned away because he could have healed him, but it wasn't enough of a high profile case for him. And the counterpoint, of course, with what we see, how he's trying to live up to his oaths that he kind of got away with in the past. But then also building that on the other doctor, uh, Dr. West, the guy that operated on him after his accident and he cursed out as being like this terrible doctor. And he kind of took that to heart because he was trying to help Strange's patients and couldn't help them as well as Strange could have. And that led to this whole mystical journey and it dovetailed into this face-off between the two of them that had so much weight to it. That was the only thing in this that I kind of looked at and went, "Mm," this idea that this other doctor would make the same pilgrimage to middle and nowhere to try to find strange I mean, i'm convinced that I, you can just book a, a flight straight to the ancient one's temple in yeah, the marvel really. universe so that was one of the few things that i went yeah, okay that i didn't like as much but it it led into that doctor's training that doctor giving up the tr- on the training early and then how that impacts the people that he tries to help so yeah. it, it kind of fit in that regard but it really felt like it was shoehorned in Mm-hmm. But it's also the hallmark of so many great Marvel villains of they're not that different from the heroes yeah. they're facing off against. Yeah. And it's, it's a hallmark of the Marvel style of storytelling, and it's done to great effect here. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. It's only a five-issue miniseries. A, like I said, it has great uh, creators behind it. Brian K. Vaughn, everybody knows, is practically a superstar these days. I'm trying to remember... 2006 was after Why the Last Man came out, I believe. So, like, he was already a known quantity back then. But uh, I don't know what Mark – I think – I didn't know about Marcos Martin until he started doing Spider-Man a few years ago. So I wonder where this was in his career. But definitely at this point, something to go back and check out. Uh, It's – like I said, in a lot of ways, I think it's kind of a perfect Doctor Strange story. And it should serve as a nice appetizer for the movie to come and, you know. Hopefully that'll be good because it's got its issues, but I don't think we're going to get into that just now. I love that. And this is something that they can do so well with a Doctor Strange story. These little cameos. Like it starts off with Iron Fist and Aranya just kind of sitting there waiting to be seen by (laughs) the night nurse. And it's just this casual conversation. And initially when you're reading, you're thinking, oh, are they going to, especially Iron Fist, play a prominent role in this as an extra or whatever that he's teaming up with her. No, no, they're just waiting in the waiting room and then told <laughs> you guys better leave. This is going to take a while. I was like, I love that. I absolutely adore that because it's one of those things again, where in he's part of that superhero community, even though he really distances himself 
from it as well. Like when he's he's face palming saying this is why I never joined the Avengers. <laughs> kind of, so there's all these really fun moments that you could relate to as somebody who's like, I wouldn't want to put up with them either. <laughs> It, it, it's very easy as the reader to see just how stupid these people are and feel like we're superior just like Stephen does. Yes. <laughs> Maybe it's not arrogance, it's common sense. <laughs> All right, what we're reading this week, I mean, kind of the same thing I said last week. Like, there's just not a whole lot going on out there for me. Like, even the latest issue of Nova, I really wanted to like it because it's what we know of as what we've come to expect from a great Nova story of, you know, Sam's a great kid. I, I love reading stories about him, but the Civil War stuff was so shoehorned in. Like it, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I remember last week I was talking about the Vote Loki comic. I was like, oh, I'll check it All out. Right. It looks like it's gonna be fun. I looked at one panel of artwork and went, nope. <laughs> it just, it did. It that didn't work for me. Even as something like like this isn't Secret Wars related. All right. Oh. <laughs> Latest Star Wars comic came out, and it was another one of those flashback uh, Obi Wan on Tatooine issues that I've actually really enjoyed. <laughs> Nothing against the Wookiee; <laughs> he's a cool character, but we've seen way too much of him at this point, and uh, some of the story just didn't make too much sense to me. But uh, I mean, it was it was okay. The only comic I really read this past week that went okay. I, I like this is, of course, Invincible because it remains <laughs> so good. And <laughs> it's like Kirkman is trying to stretch out. How many issues can we go of showing how screwed up the universe is before Mark steps in and <laughs> showing that maybe his inaction is making things so much worse because we start off this issue with Alan in a hospital hospital bed missing most of his arms and legs i love that he's all chill about it too no no don't worry it'll be I, I, right. <laughs> this is nothing I, I i've been through worse <laughs> but then the stuff we go in with uh alan's wife so i'm guessing his brother who we find out is who was dating eve when everybody thought mark was gone going back to earth and talking with his dad about what robot has been doing well i guess we can just call him rex now he's not really going by the robot moniker and then of course running into what's her name the uh viltramite that assaulted him I, there's so much in this issue <laughs> god poor mark <laughs> the scene with that when um oh my god his wife um eve eve is like ready to destroy her and yes. he stops her and he's saying nothing happened and I'm going, oh, don't. What are you doing, Kirkman? Be careful. And it's not until they're sitting together alone mm -hmm. that you realize the reason why. And again, it makes sense. There are so many male victims of rape that don't come forward, which is taking nothing away from the insane amount of women who do mm -hmm. the same thing. But I'm just referring to this because of the male character of that, that pride that not wanting to disappoint his father, all of these different things. And that's why he doesn't want to come forward with this. And it was written in such a way that it was perfectly believable for me. And I felt for him and it was like, yeah, I, I, I don't know how I'd react in a situation like that. I may very well react the same way. Who knows? So it, it, it made sense to me. And also the other layer of for everybody else, that was like five years ago. 
but for Mark, it was like a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. So it's so much fresher in his memory than it is to everyone else. Like, again, it's just another layer that they're adding to this story that, I, again, I, I still can't believe it's being told as well as it has been. Yeah. I, I should stop thinking like that. Yeah, after 100 just, plus, we, yeah. We become so conditioned to to have stories like this told so poorly in comics. And it's also the counterpoint of especially in Invincible, Kirkman doesn't know a volume other than 11. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think I have to stop saying that I can't believe it's as good as it has been because he's proven that yeah, he's handling this really well. Yep. Do you have anything for us this week? Well, continuing in with my going back to get caught up on different story arcs, I went back and I read the issues that were for Fatal Attraction, Fatal Attractions. And that's the series. It actually came out shortly after I had stopped reading comics, if I'm not mistaken. I think we're within a a couple of years. And this is when um, Magneto had taken all the adamantium out of Wolverine's oh, body. Okay. And I remember it because uh, my buddy at the time, whom we had grown up reading comics, and he had stopped for a little while as well. And he happened to start back again when I actually stopped. And I remember he had an issue where on the cover Wolverine was getting like all everything is the, the adamantium's being ripped mm. out. And I went, damn. Like that is freaking cool. And I almost got back into comics just to read that series because of what it did for to the character and what it did to the character for quite a while. I mean, that's not even the the main parts of the story. Right. There's so much going on with with Magneto and him like blacking out the world and with that EMP thing. And so there's a ton going on and it's a whole bunch of stuff going on with Colossus at the time too, who was kind of aligning himself with Magneto and then the Magneto having his powers essentially taken away by, by Charles. There's a ton of stuff happening there. But again, this led to a lot of stuff with Wolverine where he had to try to prove himself and try to figure out whether or not he still fit in the team without the unbreakable skeleton. Because all of a sudden now, he was far more tim- timid's the wrong word, but it you know it fits in battle. Careful, and careful, and well, he was also worried and afraid, depending mm-hmm. on who wrote it. And also, that's when the the claws became the bone claws, and figured out that oh, he actually has claws. I remember how bone. cool that scene was when I first read it at the time. <laughs> yeah, because for the longest time, you thought. Oh, those were just kind of implanted in when they did the the antimantium around his bones. And it was something that I remember at the time reading when the character came out and when they made such a big deal about it. And I remember having arguments with people because you would see on some of the shots his gloves had the little pop-ups where the claws came out kind of thing. And people thought for the longest time that, oh, they just came out of the glove. And then it was, oh, well, they were just implanted in and they just come out. And then you realize here is like, no, 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 no. He had bone claws. It doesn't explain how they went from kind of round to flat and la- razor thin, but whatever. So it, it's it's an interesting little bit, little history there. And while there's some of the writing is very wordy, <laughs> which is of that time, 
This is actually one of those little mini story arcs that I would tell people, yeah, go back and read this. There's a lot of stuff that happened in here that was actually really cool and really well handled. Cool. And is was that I think that was post Claremont, right? Give me a second to check. And because this actually spanned like Wolverine, Excalibur. Oh, yeah. And it, then it went on for X-Men. a while. It, it went through a whole bunch of stuff. I thought that actually Claremont had his hand in there. OK, I, I'm just trying to remember mentally like where when that took place. It was either at the tail end of Claremont's time or just after, I think. Because I know by the time he got the adamantium back, Claremont was gone. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's not that big a deal. Well, no, I'm curious now. That's why I asked. I was curious. Uh, no, writer for the X-Men stuff was Fabian... Nicieza. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it must have been right after Claremont left. So, yeah. Of course, all the X-Men... This, this was like prime scowling X-Men time frame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was none of the male characters smiled at all. <laughs> and, Everybody's and, Cyclops now. <laughs> it's funny as hell. <laughs> Did you read uh, Han Solo? No, actually, I, I didn't check that one out. Okay, first of all, freaking art and colors. Whoa. Oh, oh <laughs> my God. Unbelievable how good this looks. Just spectacularly beautiful. The uh, The story is a typical kind of Han Solo story. But I like that it's starting off with him being a lot more careful with what jobs he's taking. And he's got this bad feeling that something's going to happen kind of deal, which typically means something bad's going to happen. But... And it's setting him up to kind of go into a, a race as a cover. It's it's a it's kind of a typical Han Solo story, but it works and it's fun and it's well written and the art again spectacular. Good stuff. Um, I actually read. I've got a couple here that I still want to. Okay. Um, I actually just to to give props again to Thrillbent because we haven't talked about many of their things for a mm-hmm. while i read one of theirs um that's called four seconds and this is actually interesting because it's it's completely different than you know so, so we're not lo- in typical fashion for them we're not looking at normal superhero stuff but it is someone who does have a power and it's basically they can see four seconds into the future so what outcomes if they go through that door versus that door and, and what's going to happen, but they can't see very, she can't see very far into the, the future, obviously four seconds. So she becomes a, a, a basically a small time hood essentially and stealing stuff and whatnot. But the, the big thing comes out when she decides to go back to her home to try to help her sister because she had been, assaulted by her father when she was still living at home. And that's why she left early. And of course there's a younger daughter who's about to turn the same age as she was when he started assaulting her. So she's worried for her sister and she decides she's going to go back and try to, to save her. And what winds up happening is she's basically set up. So it's, it's actually a good, a a good series. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. It was, um, it's not very long, but it was, it was cool. I enjoyed it. All right. And lastly, oh, well, see, I've been reading Turtles again. <laughs> still, I again, and I remember us talking about some of these issues because I'm 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 reading it, and I just read. Uh, well, I'm on like 15 or 16 now, but a few issues back was the one that was where 
Um, Splinter was a complete and utter badass. Oh, yes. Where he got kidnapped, <laughs> takes everybody down. And when the granddaughter is going to shoot him with an arrow and he's going, I'm very tired and very weak, but not that tired. And I'd be taken out by a child. And I'm going, oh, you magnificent bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Makes all you old timers feel good. Oh, yeah. Now, did you, 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 you know about the con man that Alan Tiddick is doing, right? Yes. Okay, which was massive crowdfunding. Have you actually watched it? I have not. It's freaking hilarious. We, we, Karen and I watched the first season and it is hysterical. It's really, really good. And of course, as part of their stretch goals, they were also going to do novels and comics. Well, the comics are started now. So the comics aren't based on the con man principle, which is, again, the, 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 for people who haven't read up on this or, or seen the videos or whatever, it's basically Alan Tiddick plays himself going to cons to promote himself and whatnot and living off of the success of that show that he did where he was a pilot on a <laughs> sci-fi ship a la Firefly, except for him, it's called Spectrum. So what they decided to do is the comic and the novels are going to be based on Spectrum. Okay, cool. So you're essentially getting a Firefly story, but it's Spectrum. And Nathan Filio is the captain of the ship. And they have some scenes which are so hokey, it's hysterical. The uh, in, in Con Man. And then Does his character die in Spectrum? Not yet. Not not that I've seen yet. <laughs> he stays away from pointy objects, though. <laughs> so Spectrum Issue Zero came out, and it was written by P.J. Har- Harzma, who I've never heard of, and Alan Tiddick had his hand in there as well, and then illustrated by Sarah Stone. The illustrations are really well done. I dug the art style so much. It, it looks like almost like pen drawings that are then colored Almost has a some of the panels a, a watercolor feel to the coloring over top of of pen, very very freaking cool. And then it just starts off the story. It's laying the groundwork down for okay. So what is Spectrum? Then what is happening? And this is like way future kind of sci-fi stuff where earth has already had several different alien species go down to it. They thought they were at a moment of peace, but of course yet more are coming down and the pilot who is again, Nathan Filion's character. Uh, I think he's named Raker. He is told, okay, we need you back because he left the military and we need you back because it basically the shit's hit the fan. So it's got various alien kind of things. It, it, it kind of made me think of mass effect it, because it has similar types of, of uh, a feel to it and whatnot with the different aliens and different powers and whatnot. And then kind of mixed in with, with obviously Firefly and Serenity. So at points it was a little disjointed in the way that the story was being told. It was kind of jarring a couple of times, not to the point where you can't figure out what's going, but just that the pacing was off. So I'm really hoping that'll be corrected as the series continues. Cause I, I dig the premise, obviously. I, I love the people involved in this. Loved Con Man. So this is likely now to add an extra layer of depth to the enjoyment of that Con Man series. All right. Good stuff. So that's it for me. 
All right. Uh, just to add something on, did you, because uh, I figured you would have mentioned it. Did you read the latest I Hate Fairyland? No, I did not, actually. All right. We'll wait then. Okay. It's always, there's always comics that I know I can't mention. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. I just may, you know, snipe. As soon as you say anything, I'll just snipe the conversation. That's different. That's allowed. <laughs> All right, then. This week's new releases from Marvel, Captain America, Sam Wilson, number 10, Civil War 2, Choosing Sides, number one, Doctor Strange, number nine. Really been waiting for that one. <laughs> Your favorite comic, Gwenpool. I was three. just going to ask, God damn it, when's the next freaking Gwenpool coming out? <laughs> At this point, when's the next Steve Rogers comic coming out? It's, don't care. <laughs> don't. I'm just saying. You can't. Gwenpool. It, it seems like it should have been due by now. <laughs> they're, they're milking that one. <laughs> Ironically, I was just talking to someone today. I was talking to my eldest daughter because she's considering a new tattoo. And I was going, did you see the Scotty Young <laughs> tattoo that they did of somebody <laughs> did of Gwenpool? I was like, get that. It's awesome. <laughs> Anyway, Mighty Thor number eight, Ms. Marvel number eight, Power Man and Iron Fist number five, Rocket Raccoon and Groot number six, The Ultimates number eight, and Web Warriors number eight. Image, we have Autumn Lands number 11, Bitch Planet number eight, and Pretty Deadly number 10 from IDW, Back to the Future number nine, Transformers More Than Eat Meets the Eye number 54, and finally from Valiant, Rye number 14. And that's going to wrap us up this week. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer. And until next week, thanks for listening. Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast.